You know, really, nobody wants to admit that they're living beyond their means, and so they're really not. It might appear on paper like they are, but they're really not living beyond their means. I'm not going to tell you everything, and so statistically, most Americans live beyond their means, and we don't know nearly everybody who is. I mean, why? Why are we living beyond our means? In other words, why are we spending more than we have? There's perhaps a lot of reasons. One of them is life's expensive and unpredictable. And I emphasize the unpredictable part. You know, you hear stories like there are people in the world who are living on $50 a, you know, a year. Okay, it, it, I mean, I feel bad for that, truly. There's one, uh, one category I feel bad for. That. It doesn't really help me with the whole life is unpredictable thing, and here's why. I have cars. You know, even though Charlotte has the brilliant light rail mass transportation, and I know I could get everywhere I needed to along one street. <laughs> and why I cannot live my life on that street is really likely my problem. And so I have cars. And I have a 17-year-old and a 16-year-old. And yes, those are nervous ticks. And they have to go places that I don't have to go, and so I have cars. I don't have a car. There was a time when my wife and I, we had a car. We had a nice little Volkswagen. That's all we had. Now we have cars. And last week, I didn't have any major problems with my cars. I had minor things, just minor things. And I also had to pay the taxes on one of, one of the cars because they like you to pay their taxes every year. And so I had to pay taxes on one of the cars. And then I had this with the, uh, the expedition slash truck, and I had this with the other car. And then $2,000 later. And, have I emphasized this? Nothing was really wrong. I mean, I wasn't replacing an engine. And this is what really I I don't like. Okay, I spent $2,000 when all was said and done, and I don't know what I got out of it. It's like, you know, like like you go outside, my expedition is not now souped up. You know, and you look at it, it's like, wow, look at that. He tricked the whole thing out. You know, I still think it doesn't quite sound right. You know why? Because that's like 160,000 miles on it. It's not quite right. And so I spent a couple thousand dollars. I don't got anything. And then I sit there and think, two thousand dollars. You know what I could have done with that? All sorts of things. Like at the current market, I could have bought two large screen TVs. You know what the problem with that would have been? I still have to pay the taxes, and my cars had to be fixed. But I got nothing out of them. And so some of you, I know, you feel this way. You're like, why am I living by on my means? Because every time I think I'm on top of it, every time I think I've got it, every time I'm okay, the car, or the house, or whatever. The doctor. Every time I'm on top of it, this happens. And so I didn't want to live beyond my means, and I can't even look at anything in my life that appears to show why I am. I don't have any really cool purchases out of the whole living beyond my means thing. Of course, there are some of you who would say with startling clarity that you probably have to prepare for the fact that life is unexpected. While you can't know what the unexpected is, you can prepare for it. Like, and some of you would say, well, the whole taxes and the car part, that's not really unpredictable. (laughs) It happens every year. But the other stuff, you got to sign up, kind of prepare for that. And this is an aside, Mark's thing, which Mark was talking about earlier, the Dave Ramsey class. One of the things that class does is it helps you get to the place where you can start living within your means and not have the unpredictable send you scattered. But quite honestly, some of you in the room, maybe many of you are living beyond your means because the unpredictable keeps throwing you off. That's at least one reason. 
Another reason is, in our culture, it, it would seem like it, it, this would no longer be the case, yet it still is. Credit is still surprisingly easy to get. And, and credit, let's be clear, this is what credit is. I'll borrow that from you. When I went in to get my car fixed, I have a mechanic who I really like. He's really good because he tells me things like, you don't need to fix that. It'll be fine. I'll just do this and no charge. I love this man. But when, as I walked in on the window, this is what it said. 90 days, same as cash. Translation means you can owe me. You can borrow it. I will let you, I don't even know you, I will let you borrow money from me. 90 days, same as cash. 91st day, it all changes. We're no longer friends. Things escalate. It's frighteningly easy to get credit. And what credit is, I'll owe you. And there's a third reason why we can live beyond our means. Maybe more. But another reason is we're purchasing things other than the thing. We can end up living beyond our means because we're not actually purchasing the concrete thing. We're purchasing something else. We're purchasing an abstract thing that we believe that thing gives us. We're not just buying jeans. We're buying a lifestyle. And so we keep having to purchase because it's not the thing. It's something else. To be blunt, we believe that money can buy us happiness. We do. You see, what we're doing with our money when we live beyond our means, one of the things we're doing is we're saying this. I want, you have deep desires. You do. Don't, don't buy into this truncated view of Christianity which says, no, no, you, should, you shouldn't desire things. You just sort of be flatlined. Live within the box, you know, be a good boy and, or girl. You have deep desires. You want things, and they're legitimate. You want joy, and you want beauty, and you want happiness, and you want fulfillment, you want purpose. You want all those things, and we still believe that money will buy us things. We believe money is the middleman to get us to what we actually want. In the Johnny Cash song, it says, uh, you know, basically, I lost all my money, and then I became someone who's more satisfied. And we listen to that, we nod our heads, and we think, oh, that's so profound. But deep down, what we say is, what a load of crap. I've heard that money can't buy you happiness. That's only because I don't have enough. Because deep down, somewhere, not exactly hardwired, but close within us, is this notion that there are things I deeply desire, and money is the middleman that will get me there. And so I'm not buying clothes. I'm buying status. I'm not buying a vacation. I'm buying experience. I'm not buying a house. I'm buying fulfillment. And those continue to send us skittering the wrong direction because it never works. There never comes a place where we purchase and then we experience more contentment. Seriously, if it were true, if it were true, none of you would ever go into debt for clothes or a car. Why would you go into debt for that? But for happiness? Seriously. 90 days, same as cash. I don't have to pay all up front. I'll put some of that away. That gives me more money. And what I'm doing when I'm borrowing that money, I'm borrowing money for happiness. I am not so superficial to borrow money for clothes, but for happiness, why not? 
We often live beyond our means because we believe money is the middleman to get us to the deep things we actually want, and so it seems like a good deal. I'll go into debt for satisfaction. Why does it never work? Because it's not true. Money's not a middleman to satisfaction. Now, let me be clear. I want to back up. Let me be clear about something. Money's not bad. Money is currency. That's all it is. It's a means of exchange. You know, back in, in, even before I was born, there were people that, they exchanged stuff, right? I, I, I uh, grew potatoes, but I need beef. So I'm, I'm, we're, ch- we're trading, we're bartering. And then, as the economy became more specialized, I couldn't quite exchange everything in that way, and so I provide a service, and somebody gives me paper or metal, and it's a common currency that allows me to do business and to get things that I need. Money's not evil, it's just a currency. And money will not enslave you. How can paper enslave you? What will enslave you is when you fall in love with your money because you believe it can purchase for you things that you deeply desire. What we do is we fall in love to what we think money can do for us. There's a passage in, is a passage in, the, in the Bible where it's often misquoted. And, and a guy named Paul, who's one of the leaders of the early church, was writing to a younger man named Timothy. And he was giving some advice about leadership and stuff like that. But then he talks about the trap Money. This is 2,000 years ago. This is not, you know, American consumerism. This is 2,000 years ago. Often this passage is quoted as money is the root of all evil. In fact, you may have even heard it said that way. That's not what it says. What it says is the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And what the passage says is money's not bad. I mean, clearly, come on. What's bad is when we fall in love with it. And we fall in love with it when we believe that with it, we can purchase our heart's desire. And this is where trouble happens. Today, we're going to talk about how do you live an uncommon lifestyle. Last week, we talked about uncommon priorities. In other words, how do I live my life in such a way so that they are based with things in their proper perspective? And one of the things I attempted to dismantle last week was the view that what the proper priority for somebody who is living right is that they would consider their life of unimportance and God and everybody else the only ones that matter. You know, I, I'm, God is first, my friends are second, I am third. And I attempted to dismantle that because I think it's absolutely untrue. Because then what it makes it look like is somehow in all of humanity, which matters deeply, I somehow don't. But rather the uncommon priority is one that says where life is found is in a connection with the world around me. It's found in my connection with God and it's found in my connection with other people. And so if I place that first, then my priority is straight. It's not that I disparage my life or I think that nothing should go toward me, but I value first connection with God and connection with others. And so I live freely and engage in that. Today what we're talking about is <clears throat> Sorry, how do you live an uncommon lifestyle? How do you live in such a way so that your lifestyle, and lifestyle is simply what we have and what we do, and lifestyle includes everything from <clears throat> places we go to music we listen to. 
can be viewed all sorts of different ways. I mean, there's a, it's just a noun. It's the adjectives that make it something. You can live a sedentary lifestyle, which means you sit in the couch a lot. You can live an active lifestyle, which means you don't. You can live a green lifestyle, which means you can take care in, in specific ways about the environment. There's all sorts of lifestyles that we have. An uncommon lifestyle is one that produces freedom. An uncommon lifestyle is one where what we purchase, where we go, does not bind us. It makes us free. It's easy to view money, purchases, lifestyle in a very unhelpful way, in a very non-freeing way. There's a thing that I said, I don't know, a year ago. I have no idea. I'm really bad with time. It might have been last week. But it's this. The gospel is not the story of bad people becoming good. It's the story of bound people becoming free. I could give a message to you today on lifestyle, which would essentially communicate this. You're a bad person. You should become good. And that goes something like this. We talk about lifestyle. Your purchases. It is really easy for me to set sort of a bar of, this is what your lifestyle should look like. And some of you may already be thinking that. Oh, boy, he's going to tell me what I can buy and what I can't buy. For example, you all should live on no more than... $36,500 a year. That's what all of us should live on. Anything beyond that is superfluous. People have done that. I totally disagree. I mean, seriously, where in the Bible does it say that? Where in common sense is there that we have to set some number that's the right number to live by? See, the problem with telling somebody how they should live their lifestyle, if I tell you what things you should buy and what things you wouldn't, it will miss a whole range of options. And what it will do is it will simply tell you, you have a bad way of living, here's a good way of living. What I want to communicate to you is you have a bound way of living, there's a free way of living. And the problem is I can often live my life based upon telling you what you should spend money on. For example, I, have a, I had a friend. I lived in Colorado at the time. And he was, he was on one of his things where he bashed. He was a great guy, honestly. But he was bashing uh, clothing and people who spent a lot of money on clothing. And if this was before jeans were, you know, more than jeans. This is when jeans were just jeans. And at that time, even so, he was like, I've never spent more than $22 on a pair of jeans. And sort of like, I don't understand what people have done. And he was really bordering on, it is ungodly to spend money on clothing more than the basic necessities of life. Why would anybody do this? And as he went on and on, I looked around the room and I looked at his brand spanking new ski stuff, state of the art. And so I said, I'm making up a name, Bob, I just saw your new ski stuff. That's awesome. Tell me about it. Oh, he told me about it. All the intricacies and the way they were parabolic and the new bindings and they were just amazing. And I said, when'd you get the, I took out those two weeks ago. Well, now what'd you do with your other set? Oh, you mean the pair that I bought last year? Yes, that pair. Well, I got that over there. And sometimes, and I said, do you think that some people would think that was crazy? And he started to go into it about what he loved and all that. And he said, that's a good point. And what he realized is, I don't care how much he's, really, I don't, I don't care how much you spend on his skis. But it's really easy to look around at everybody else and say what they're doing. Well, that's, un- I would never do that. <laughs> For example, Some of you would look at our life and say, we spend a lot of money on our kids. You know why? We do. We do. One of our kids is going to Stanford to study this summer. I know, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, you have a teenager who wants to go to Stanford and study this summer. Yes, non-Euclidean geometry. You know. 
we're going to send him to Stanford. Uh, and it'd be easy to say, that's just ridiculous. You know, just have him read a book. I'd have you know that he just finished Fountainhead and now he's reading Atlas Shrugged and The Art of War. So, I mean, yes, he's reading the book. But we made a decision to do that. We have made a decision to pour money into things that our kids love and are passionate about. And I, I know it's really easy to look at that and go, oh my goodness, these people are crazy. But this is the place where it lets us all off the hook. See, if I can look at your lifestyle and say, oh, I can't believe what you're spending money on. I don't really have to look at mine anymore. And it's not the issue. The gospel is not about, oh, I made a bad purchase, I should make a good purchase. The gospel of money is about learning freedom so that your lifestyle and your money serve you rather than the opposite. There's a passage where Jesus is talking in his most famous speech called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he says this, you can't serve both God and money. He said, in the end, you're going to have to figure out what's going to define your life. And you're either going to end up serving God or you're going to end up serving money, which means essentially you're going to end up making your decisions about value and choices based around your money or around your God. Now, I'm going to tell you two things. I'm going to give you two questions. Quite honestly, to be relatively simplistic, these are the two questions that you need to answer in order to live an uncommon lifestyle. An uncommon lifestyle is one where your money serves you, not you serve your money. An uncommon lifestyle is one where you find freedom through your money, not bondage. Two questions. First one is, can you afford your lifestyle? You, some would say that this is really the, the lowest common denominator, and really, can we not go deeper than that? Certainly we can, but this is a terribly important one. Can you afford your lifestyle. While this is important is, here's what often happens with our lifestyle, with the purchase that we make. There's a certain sense where we feel entitled. Bill has that. Why can't I have that? Is it my fault that my car broke down last week? I've taken care of my car. Is that really my fault? And so are you telling me that I no longer deserve to buy that thing I was going to buy because my car broke down, which is not my fault at all? I have, I have a right to buy that new thing for my house, don't I? Are you really telling me I don't have a right to buy that? That somehow you deserve it and I don't. So you can buy a big house, I can't. You can buy a fancy car, I can't. That's what you're telling me? It is really easy in our culture to develop a mentality of entitlement that says, I deserve this. The pathway from I deserve this to living a lifestyle that I can't afford is very short. Because at that point, we make decisions and credit makes it easier. We make decisions that are beyond our lifestyle because you deserve it. Remember where you heard this first. It's not here. Life's not fair. Nobody ever promised you that you could get whatever you wanted. You might be a significantly better person than I am. And yet that doesn't mean you can buy what I can. You might be a miserable SOB and yet have more creature comforts than many other people in the room. And I could say, well, it isn't fair. And you know what? It's not. It's not fair that we live in America. 
It's not fair that one person can afford that and another can't. It has nothing to do with anything. Nothing. Because the question is, do you want to be bound or free? Entitlement will lead you to bondage. Because what you will do is you will decide to buy a lifestyle that you can't afford. And as soon as you buy a lifestyle that you can't afford, you will live with a level of pressure that is intense. I understand debt. It is not fun. 90 days, same as cash, sounds great until the 91st day. And many of you also know this very personally. The question I have for you is, can you afford your lifestyle? You can say you deserve it. It doesn't matter. In the end, it doesn't matter. You want freedom or do you want bondage? Freedom happens when we make choices that allow us to live at and below our means. There's a passage where New Testament where it says simply this, it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. God does not want you to make purchases that make you have brownie points because of what you gave up or what you bought. He wants you to be free. And right now, for too many of us, our purchases are binding us. Can you afford your lifestyle? Second question I have for you is, are you trying to buy something other than the actual thing? Are you trying to buy some abstract good and the concrete thing is only a middleman between them? Are you trying to buy something other than the thing? Let me give you an example. There's a, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, again, I've told you I'm bad with time. It might've been in 1972 for all I know. It wasn't, I don't know. Sometime recently, my wife and I went to DC for our 20th anniversary and it was lovely. It really was. We hadn't gone away, just the two of us, and we, cal- we were trying to remember. It was either, and I'm bad with time, but it was either three or four years since we had been away. Not, not, a, not, not a, by the way, if you're married, not a good move. And uh, through a series of events, a gift that was given to us, some other things, we decided, let's just go ahead. We'll go to D.C. for, for uh, two days. It was lovely. I mean, it was filled with some of the things I, I, I deeply love. One, I, I love museums, and, and I love cities, and I love my wife, and I got all those things in, in one package. I, I got to see my favorite artist, Mark Rothko, an entire room filled with his paintings. And, and yes, they were all black. For me, it was a deeply moving experience. I absolutely loved it. We got to walk around the city, see a soccer game. I mean, it was filled with the things I love. Got to go and have a Belgian beer. I mean, it was just a, it was a great weekend. But one of the things I asked myself afterwards, and I can't even remember why I asked this, was what was I buying with that weekend? There's two possibilities. One of those possibilities is I was buying time with my wife. I was enjoying experience with her that fueled the other days, that built upon the relationship we had. The other possibility is I was buying an experience because the common, the everyday, was unfulfilling. Some of you are not even slightly tempted to buy products. You're very tempted to buy experience because you buy this experience and for a moment, for a week, for a day, you feel good. But then the next day comes. The 
question you have to ask yourself is what happens when you come home? How do I know when I'm buying something other than the actual thing? Is when it didn't work. When I come home and I need the next one. It's like a fix. See, the AA got it right long before many of us did. Most things in life can be addicting. Anything can be a vehicle to the things we deeply desire because, I said it before, you are a creature of deep desire. If you walk home from any experience and the euphoria fades quickly and your next thought is, when am I going to get my next fix? You would never put it that way, but that's really what it is. When am I going to get my next fix? No, you're not buying the thing. You're buying something else. As soon as you get on that road, you'll live bound. You won't be able to stay within your means because that thing you're trying to get, whether it's fulfillment or satisfaction or joy or just an end to the tedium of life will drive you and it will drive you mercilessly because it's the only place that you find what you want. And just like an addict who finishes one time of being high and can't wait to get to the next one, it becomes your God. And now money rules you because money gets you the thing that you cannot live without. The problem is, as soon as you finish it, you need another and another and another because money is not a middleman to satisfaction. It will never work. Do not deceive yourself into believing that just a little more The only reason I'm not satisfied yet is because I haven't bought enough of it. If I buy a little more experience, then I'll be happy. When 7 billion people prove that that's not true, you might want to go with the odds. It isn't true. Money is not a middleman to satisfaction. It's sort of your money but it doesn't love you at all. It's only supposed to be a tool. It can become a trap. But see, it's so easy for you maybe to look at that part and go, I would never buy experience. That's not me. But what's the thing you're buying? I don't care about clothes. Legitimately. This is not like a, oh, I don't care about clothes. Nothing moral here. I literally don't care. Everything I wear, my wife has bought for me, except the shoes. I love Skechers. <laughs> they're comfy, they're functional, they're cheap. I legitimately don't care about clothes. It means nothing to me. If I could get up every day and nobody cared, and I could open a drawer and there was, I have a pair of jeans and I have a pair of shorts, all in the end of this figure, temperature. Open another drawer and I have long sleeve t-shirt, short sleeve t-shirt. What's the defining characteristic? Temperature. Then I got a pair of Skechers or a pair of flip-flops and I'm done. I might need two or three because y'all don't want me to stink. But I don't care. I legitimately do not care. And so it's easy for me to look at people and go, oh, why would they spend so much on clothes? But, and so understand, I just don't care at all. But for some of you, where you would say, I would never buy experience, you are buying a lifestyle. You're not buying a pair of jeans. You're buying self-esteem. You're not just buying a shirt. You're buying a look. Now, there is nothing wrong with 
enjoying clothes. There's nothing wrong with dressing well. It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with looking good. It's perfectly fine. Beauty is a part of our world. The problem is when you're trying to buy something else. You're not buying clothes. You're buying fulfillment. You're buying self-esteem. You're buying satisfaction. You know, when was the last time that worked? Those of you who have that incessant need to buy, name it, clothes, music, whatever, when was the last time it worked? We cannot live an uncommon lifestyle if two things are not true. We can't afford our lifestyle, and we're buying something other than the actual purchase. Those things will always lead you to bondage. It is not what you were made for. You were made for freedom. This message is about the gospel of money, which means the good news of how money can be used where we are free and not bound. When Jesus came to earth and when he laid down his life for you and me, he did so to provide a couple of things for us. One of them is forgiveness of our sin, to take that away. Another is to experience his presence in a real way. And then to give us freedom because we get tied into so many things that don't produce what our deep desires want. How do you break loose of the bondage of money? You do it by doing some logistical things like the Dave Ramsey course, gotta be honest with you. Sometimes it's just logistical. But you also do it by knowing and believing that satisfaction is found somewhere else. Satisfaction, our heart's desire, fulfillment is found in a deep connection with God. It's found in a real connection with other people. And it's found in living out the purpose for which I was made. And anything else is a fraud. And it will leave you bound. And I would say to you, you know, I don't like talking about money. I don't for a variety of reasons. I've never been good with it. So for a part opposed to the love of money, I, I hate money. I do. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I just I would like somebody to hand me five dollars and take care of everything else in my life and then I'm happy. It's always been difficult for me. I don't like to talk about it. I also don't like to make you all feel guilty about money. We're not talking about money. We're talking about freedom. And too many of us are bound. Money's our master. It's time to break the hold. The gospel is not the story of bad people becoming good. It's the story of bound people becoming free. Don't let money keep you in bondage. Let's pray. Our Father, our Lord, our God, you who moved heaven and earth to bring us back to yourself, We come to you today as human beings who are kind of frail and who often lose our way. Would you help us today in the midst of the rest of this time to get in touch with the deep desires that you've given us for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for joy, for peace, for beauty? But would you give us that clarity of mind and heart that actually sort of chronicles through our life and shows us every time we believe that something other than you and our deep relationships and living out of purpose that something other than that gives us fulfillment, would you help us to check those off and 
look at our life carefully and profoundly so our lifestyle no longer runs us, but that we, out of who we are and who we are before you, we use the money that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you'd give us freedom and show us today what we need to do in order to have that as a real, practical reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move into this part of our last part of our service, there's a couple of things. One, if you're new here or if you've just got questions, maybe you're not new here, maybe you've been here for six years, but you've got questions or you want information. So these cards are for the uncommon cards that are sitting around you, and there's pens as well. If you've got something you want to put in there, if you want some information, if you're here for the first time or second time and you want us to connect with you and and answer some questions for us, put whatever information you want on this. And then in just a moment when I bring the baskets around for the offering, you can just drop these in there. We do the offering here for a very specific purpose, is that we believe there is a practical outworking of freedom in our lives. And that... One of the reasons why God calls us to give is so our priorities get stretched and shifted and so we realize that we do not want to be bound to our lifestyle where we are hoarding everything. And we learn the practical power of giving something away which provides the counterintuitive feeling of, and truth of freedom in our lives. So this time for us is always a time of worship and engagement in God. I invite you in. This last set I think is very powerful. will help you be both reflective and engage deeply with what God is dealing with you on.